you are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Again, welcome. If you were here last week, we had one of our uh, student pastors, Tyler. Uh, he preached, and I was laughing as I was sitting out there because the, the difference between him and me, you might think, what, what are the difference between Tyler and me? It's not height, because he's actually shorter than me, because that's why we hired him, because I needed to not be the shortest guy on staff. And so, and, and it's not facial hair, you know, he's got a little bit more than me and, and cooler tattoos and all that, but um, the main difference, as I was thinking about it, is that generational gap. Because when he goes and, and he, he reflects on a song, if you were here last week, you remember, he, he mentioned somebody and then starts singing a song that I never heard of in my entire life. I have no clue who Alicia Keys is. I appreciate his voice. He's really good, but I got no clue. He's singing some song. I'm like, dude, you got, you got to know your audience, man. Because I don't think any of y'all know. Who that. I mean, maybe you do, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but I'm like, you got you to go back to some journey. Okay, you got to go back to the Beatles, the Who, Guns N' Roses, uh, Metallica even. I mean, but Alicia Keys, I don't even know who that is. But uh, we've been talking this summer about songs and, and the, specifically the songs of the Bible, the Psalms of the Old Testament and how they're powerful and they impact our heart and impact our mind. Uh, and some of the most memorable, even secular songs are songs that tell stories, right? That, that tell a story uh, about something. And even beyond that, some of those stories that tell uh, life lessons from failure, from past experiences, those are powerful, powerful songs, songs we remember. And let me give you an example. Probably the, the number one, in my opinion, life lesson song. Some of you know it, I hope. It goes like this. Son, I've made a life out of reading people's faces, knowing what their cards were by the way they held their eyes, so if you don't mind me saying, and I can see you're out of aces, for a taste of your sweet tea, that's for the Baptist in the room, I'll give you some advice. What's the advice he gives? You got to know when to hold them. That's what I'm talking about, picking a song that people know. <laughs> know when to hold, hold them. That's memorable, right? And clearly, the gambler is telling a story and he's giving advice from failure, He's, he's, he's held him when he shouldn't have held him and he didn't fold when he should have folded, right? And he didn't walk away when he should have walked away and he didn't run when he should have run, right? And so he is telling this young gambler uh, his story and he's giving advice, not from his victory, but from his failures. And that is the song we're gonna look at this morning in Psalm 34, that David is going to teach a lesson. He's gonna give advice, not from some victory, but from the school of hard knocks, from failure. And he's gonna teach this very simple lesson that we all need to learn. Here it is. How to walk by faith instead of walking by fear. Right, that is the lesson. How do I live my life, not from fear of man, which is a big one, or fear of circumstances, or fear of loss, or fear of death, or fear of whatever risk, but to walk by faith. And it's a lesson that he learned, not from successes, it's interesting, he doesn't write a psalm. You don't see a psalm, a song of David after I kicked Goliath's butt. You don't see that psalm because it's not in there, right? Because we learn often, if we're honest, the key moments in our life that have shaped us, that have made us who we are, that defined us are often hard, challenging moments, difficulties, 
failures, but in that failure, something good was birthed, right? That's this song, Psalm 34. And so as we work through it, it's an acrostic. That means that just like a couple weeks ago when Clint preached, each letter of the Hebrew alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, all the way down for, for it's not, they don't have A, B, C, D, D, they have different letters, but every verse begins with the, the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And that's probably so that they would be able to remember it. That's probably so they could memorize this, right? Because they didn't have hymnals, they didn't have slides. So it would be something they would memorize. And David is going to, in this song, teach us when to fold them, when to walk away, when to run. And so we're gonna learn from him. So let's look what it says. It starts with the opening, which is very significant, right? Because if you would read this psalm without this little heading, you might think this is just another song about, you know, trust God, God is good, yay God, right? That's where you would go. But this changes everything, right? This gives you the backdrop of where he wrote it and why he wrote it and, and what, com- what was the circumstances. Of David, that means David wrote it, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech. Abimelech is the title, it means the king, right? so that he drove him out and went him away. So what's he referring to there? If you have to go back into the book of 1 Samuel chapter 21, and that's, that's the story that he's referring to. And, and kind of let me give you the background here because some of you aren't familiar with your Old Testament that well. So David is anointed by Samuel to be the next king. And then he goes and he kills Goliath. And then he goes and he marries Saul's daughter. He marries into the royal family. And things are going well. Things are going well for a season. Everyone loves David. And then at a certain point, a, a song was written and started to be sung by the ladies of Israel. It was on the top 10 Casey Kasem's uh, countdown in Israel that day. And it went like this. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his 10,000s. And that song drove Saul nuts. And everything changed. And so at one point, he tries to pin David to the wall with his spear. Another point, he sends people to David's house where his daughter is his, his wife to kill him. He has to get out the window. Another another. David is supposed to go to the feast, but he lies and, and says he's going to go somewhere else to kind of test where Saul's at. Saul's so mad, he tries to kill his own son. And so David eventually goes on the run. He goes to a city called Nob, where the tabernacle is, and he runs into the priest, and he lies to the priest. He tells the priest, look, I am on a secret mission. So secret, I can't even tell you. But I had to leave so quick that I, I forgot my lunchbox. You got any food? And the priest says, well, we only have sanctified bread. And, and, and you can read about that story. Uh, Jesus refers to that. And he gives him the bread. He says, oh, and I left my, my sword and the SUV because I had to leave so fast. Do you got any weapons? He says, well, all we have is the sword of Goliath. You know it well, right? You cut off his head with it. And he says, oh, that's great. I'll take it. And he takes the sword and then he runs again. And he runs to a city called Gath. And if you know anything about Gath, Gath was the hometown of who? Goliath. It's a Philistine city. Here's the thing. When you are running and living by fear, you will go places you never thought you'd go. You'll do things you never thought you'd do. You'll say things you never thought you'd say. And here's David in Gath, and he goes to the king of Gath, right? And and appeals to him to kind of help him, right? Crazy. And what happens is the people identify, they're like, wait, that's, that's David. That's the song we keep hearing on the radio. David kills his 10,000. That's the one who cut off Goliath's head. And so they arrest David. They arrest him. And he writes another psalm about that in Psalm 56. It's the kind of partner psalm here to this one. But so David is, now he's really terrified. He's really afraid. And so what does he do? He pretends he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. 
He starts drooling all over himself and letting his, you know, just drooling all over his beard. And, he, and he's writing on the walls. He's trying to vandalize. He's vandalizing everything. And the king hears about it and sees him. He's like, do, do not, don't we have enough crazy here in Gath? We don't need any more crazies. Get him out of here. And so they let him go. And he goes and he goes to a cave and it says he's surrounded by 400 individuals who are bitter of soul and that are in debt and are just mad at life. So he's got a bunch of guys that can't get a car loan, unemployed, that are just mad, surrounding himself in this cave. And it's at that point he seems to write this song, right? Not from a good place, but from a hard place, right? A song about failure. He's gonna teach us when to hold them, when to fold them. And that should be a great encouragement because he writes this out of failure. And some of you, you failed. You're, you're in the middle of failure now. You feel like I'm not worthy, I'm not this, I'm not this. And this, this song should encourage you. God is not done with you just because you fill in the blank. God wasn't done with him. He's got drool all over his face. He looks silly, but God is not done with David, right? And so there's five things I wanna kind of highlight for us to help us walk by faith and not fear, whatever that fear is. So let's jump in, verses one through three. David says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And so, you know, you should circle the verbs in these three verses because they're all very similar. Let's exalt. I will praise uh, hear and be glad, uh, rejoice, magnify, just, just this idea of, of what? Of worship. And what David is saying is, look, I'm done being a vandal. Got my misdemeanor, got my ticket. I'm done with that. I am pre-deciding from this point on, whatever my circumstances may be, and maybe they're my fault, or maybe they're Saul's fault, because this is not ultimately his fault. This is a lot of Saul. But he, he's not placing blame. He's not thinking about circumstances. Whatever my circumstances may be, whether I'm up or down, whether it's my parents' fault, whether it's my spouse's fault, whether it's my kid's fault, whether it's my boss's fault, whether it's my fault, whether it's the president's fault, whoever's fault, I am pre-deciding that instead of worrying about that, I'm gonna do what? I'm gonna worship. And, and the way I word it is, I'm gonna get my eyes up. I'm gonna get my eyes off me and what's going on here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna get them up, Right? At all times, it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will show continually. And, and look, David is, we might think, oh, David just is on the top of the world here. He just got out. No, David's a wreck. He's not in a great place. He's surrounded by a bunch of bitter, angry, can't get a car loan guys. All right. He's feeling guilt because he finds out that Saul, when Saul finds out that Abimelech helped him, or Ahimelech helped him and gave him a sword and gave him food. Saul not only kills the priests, he kills all the priests and he kills all their families. So he's responsible because he lied for the death of all these people. He's still got drool. He looks silly, right? He's not in a great place. And he's got plenty to complain about. He's done nothing wrong except for the lie. He's been faithful to Saul and yet Saul hates him. But he says, no matter what's going on, I am pre-deciding my eyes are up. They're off me on something bigger. I want to magnify the Lord. I love that idea, magnify. All right, when I was growing up, I don't know if kids do this anymore. Probably not, because they're playing video games. But we used to have, we get our dollar magnifying glass. Remember this? You're nine years old. You could do wonders with a magnifying glass, y'all. You, you could burn anything with that thing. Burning leaves. Who could start the first fire? You can burn frogs. I'm not saying you should do that, but we used to do that. I, you know, that's what we did in the 80s. Kids burned frogs. We didn't play video games. That's what we did. But, you know, because what happens is, is the sun goes through that, that convex lens 
That's for all you physics teachers out there. You're welcome for that, nerd, nerd now. But that, the sun would magnify through that thing and it would just laser beam and you could start a fire. But if you flip it around, you could burn your eye out. But that's what these are. These are magnifying so that I can actually see this. It makes it big. It, it blows it up in my face. And he says this, let's magnify. Let's make God big. And notice this is not an individual sport. This is not a golf game. It's not one person. It's a team sport. This is a football team. This is a basketball team. This is a baseball team, right? Let us, he says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us do this together. See, this is why corporate worship matters. Because when you come into this room, what we're doing is, yes, we are singing praises to God, yes. Holy, holy is the Lord. But you're not just singing to God. This group over here, y'all, you're singing to them too. Hey, this is who God is. And you, you guys are singing to them. And balcony, we don't hear you much, but we know you're singing to us. And you're reminding everybody in the room, let us exalt together. God is big. God is great. Because somebody over here is struggling to believe that this morning. And someone in the back over there needs to be reminded. And together, we, we, we magnify, we, we brag. It says, let us boast in the Lord. My soul boasts in the Lord. It's like kids on the recess back in the day again. We were all bragging about our dads. I don't know if they do that anymore. We used to brag, well, my dad does this, well, my dad does this, and we're all one-upping, and somebody, my dad's the president, your dad's not the president, but you're always bragging on your dad because you wanted your dad to be great, and it wasn't true, he wasn't great. He wasn't, I mean, he was your dad, he loved you, but he wasn't great. You might think, my dad can do anything, he really couldn't, but see, when we boast in the Lord, this dad can. We might say, my dad's got this. No, no, your dad didn't got this. But this, this guy, this father, this God, he does got this. Whatever this is, this may be relational. This may be a family issue. This may be money. This may be, this may be anxiety. But this, this one, is he got it. And we need to be reminded of it. And so in that moment, when there's fear, fear of man, fear of loss, fear of what's gonna happen, what we do is we get our eyes off that and we get our eyes up. And I know that's hard I mean, I'm not trying to be super spiritual here, like just pray, you know, I, we, you know, no, I get it. But what we need to do is retrain our heart in those moments that even though it stinks and we're fearful and we're worried that we can say, no, no, God is bigger than this. God is bigger than this. This is why this week uh, I, I, I've been working on memorizing verses one through three, right? Because I need that. In that moment when I'm struggling, I, and, I, and I've seen it firsthand, because what happens is when you memorize God's word and you hide it in your heart, it, it's amazing how he will bring to mind the right scripture at the right time when you have it in your arsenal that you need. Now, what you do with it in that moment is up to you. But, but how God will bring to mind the scripture as you are struggling. So that I was able to, at certain times, be like, take a breath. Now I'm going to praise God. God, you are great. Thank you for this. I, I'm going to bless you at all times, even though I'm not, not, I'm not joyful about that, but I am joyful in you. And it's amazing how that can calm your soul. So I would, I would encourage you, challenge you even, hey, this is three verses. It's not that much. Memorize it. Hide this in your heart. Uh, and God will use it. I promise you, he will use it. It'll help you to get your eyes up and get 
eyes off. That's the first thing we walk by faith. That's what he's teaching. You got to know when to hold them. Here's the second thing. Avoid trust traps. And what I mean by trust traps is this. Things you put your confidence in that can't really hold it, that shouldn't hold it. Those things which you think are going to carry you, but they, they really won't. And if you want to know what your trust trap is, then ask yourself, what do I run when things go sideways? Because whatever that is, that's your savior. That's your functional savior. So if it's approval, you're like, well, I just want them to like me. I just don't want people to say this about me. I don't want them to think whatever. Then, you're, then your savior is the approval of men. If it's, if it's money, you're like, well, at least I have this in the bank. At least my 401k is this. And at least I got a car and I got a beach. If that, then it's stuff. That's your savior. Maybe it's like a food or a, another functional savior, alcohol or some kind of pill or some kind of thing that, that kind of numbs the pain. Netflix of, for 18 hours straight. Whatever, that's your savior. A big one for us, and, and I think it was David's, his functional savior, his trust trap, you know what it was? It was him. He's his savior. Because what he's thinking is, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm on the run, I got this. I mean, I am the anointed one. I did take out Goliath. I'm pretty sharp, so let me be crafty. Let me be cunning. And where did it end up with him? He got drool on his face and he's a vandal. He's got a record, right? Because when you're walking by fear, you'll end up in places you never wanted to be, doing things you never wanted to do, saying things you never wanted to say. But he's learned his lesson. He's saying, here, I sought the Lord and he answered me. That's a great verse. Because he didn't seek the Lord when he's in the middle of it. When does he seek the Lord? After. And I think the tendency for us is we don't, we don't seek the Lord. You know why? Because we're thinking, look at me. I got drool all over myself. I look like a fool. I've acted like an idiot. I've done this. I've done that. I've done this. And the tendency is um, I, can't, I can't go to God. He don't want nothing to do with me. I can't, I can't run to him. He's ashamed of me. And let me tell you, that's, that's a lie from the enemy, that, that you can't run to God when you mess up. David says, no, no, I sought the Lord and he answered me. Did I deserve to be answered? No. Was I good? No, but he answered me and he delivered me. But what did he deliver him from? All my fears. He didn't deliver him from his circumstances. He's still in the cave with a bunch of 400 grumpy people. Saul is still after him. But the difference is now he's not He's not living by fear, right? His situation hasn't changed. It's where his trust is. He was trusting in himself. Now he's not. He says, I'll let God handle Saul. And here's what's interesting. David's gonna make a bunch of mistakes in the rest of his life. He's not gonna be perfect. But you know what he doesn't fail again in? Trusting God when it comes to Saul. In fact, you read the rest of 1 Samuel and you read 2 Samuel until, until Saul dies. There's several opportunities where Saul's going after him. And every time David's like, God, what do you want me to do? Okay, good, and he does it. He, he, he seeks God, and there's even opportunities for him to take Saul out two times. He has the opportunity to kill Saul, to remove this, and he doesn't do it. He's like, no, I'm gonna trust God. God's gonna deal with him. I'm, I'm trusting. He learns this lesson. That he's not walking by fear anymore. He's walking by faith, because that's what the Spirit of God does in us, because the Spirit of God, is, God's given us his Spirit, which is a spirit of power, of love, and of sound mind, right? This is why this is the difference between Peter pre-resurrection where he, he's so scared of a little girl. He's like, no, I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. No, I don't know Jesus. And then 60, 70 days later, he's standing before all the Jewish leaders and they're like, you need to stop talking. He's like, nope. How you like them apples? Nope. What's the difference? 
the Spirit of God in him. His circumstances are actually worse here, but he's trusting God. I must obey God rather than man. He's not afraid of loss. He's not afraid of the cost. He's not afraid of failure anymore. And he says, when this is you, when you will seek the Lord, those who look to him are radiant. Do you love that word? I wonder if he's got in mind, if you remember the story when Moses goes up on the mountain, he gets the law and he's with, with God for like a bunch of days, a month and a half. And he comes back down and he's, his face is like shining. And people are like, you have to wear a mask. Not the same reason we used to have to wear a mask, but he's like, you gotta cover your face. We can't look at you, it's, it's freaking us out. And so he put a veil over his face to, because his face was shining because he had been with God, because he had seen God. And what he's saying is, hey, if this is you, you're gonna, it's gonna change your face, right? When you're looking up and trusting not in yourself, but in God, it's gonna do something. It's gonna transform you. It's, it's what number six, when God says, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And then it says, let his countenance be upon you. The word countenance is the same word for face. Let his face be upon you and then give you Peace, when that's, when that's you and God, man, it does something to you. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says that we all with unveiled face behold the glory. We're not like Moses who had to have a veil. You, there's, you unveiled and you behold the glory and what happens? It transforms you. It transforms you and this comes from what? The spirit. That's, that's what he wants. He wants transformation from fear to faith. And you know, practically, when you are looking at a big God and you're not trusting yourself, you know one thing that should change is your face. When we, when we gather to worship and sing, some of y'all should tell your face because it looks like you're about to have a colonoscopy. I'm just telling you. You're like, holy is the Lord. Yeah, I mean, come on. If, if that's it, just close your eyes and pretend because it's, just, it's not a pretty sight. It should, trans, it should change you. Your face shines. It's not ashamed, right? That's the idea. And then he says this, this poor man cried. Love it. He calls himself a poor man. He's avoiding the trust trap of, I'm, I'm David. I'm David. I'm great with a slingshot. I'm a great shepherd. No, this poor man. It's because you see God for who he is and magnify, you recognize who you are. I am not strong. He is strong. I am not big. He is big. This is not David saying, you got to try harder. Try. Some of you live your Christianity. Try hard, do better, fail. Try hard, do better. It's not, he's not saying that. Right? It's no, it's I look to him. He strengthens me. That's what happens. Right? And you'll be radiant. And the angel of the Lord will encamp around those who fear him and deliver them. And the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, you don't see the angel of the Lord in the New Testament. You see an angel, but you don't see the. That's because the angel of the Lord, when he shows up in the Old Testament, this is what we call a Christophany or a Theophany. It is a pre-incarnate, a pre-Bethlehem appearance of the second person of the Trinity of Jesus. Remember, Jesus at Bethlehem took on humanity, but he has always existed. And he will often show up as the angel of the Lord who is worshiped in the Old Testament. You see it in Exodus 3 in the, in the burning bush for Moses. You see it in Judges when he comes before Gideon and Gideon worships. You don't worship an angel. You worship God. You worship Yahweh. And he says, the angel, God himself, will encamp around you. He'll surround you. You may feel like your enemies are around you or your circumstances are surrounding you. He says, no, no. When you fear Yahweh, when you trust God, it's him who's around you. He says, I got this. 
It's the story of Elisha when he's surrounded by the enemies of God and his enemies and his servant is freaking out and Elisha says, he's just calm, he's cool, he's the other side of the pillow. And his servant's like, what are you, why are you so calm? He says, God opened his eyes. God opens his eyes and he sees that around the army that's surrounding them is the armies of God which strike the enemies blind and they just don't kind of stroll on through, right? That's the idea, that God by his spirit now, he encamps around those who fear him. You're safe. Even if, if, if you lose everything, you're safe because he has got you. And so he says, you wanna walk by fear, not faith? Get your eyes up and don't run to trust traps. Don't run to trust traps. Next verse. This is probably the most famous verse in this psalm quoted in the New Testament. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. You ever have just like an incredible meal and you try to like describe it to someone? You're like, man, I had the best. It was, it was like bacon wrapped with bacon with bacon bits on top. I mean, you know, it was so good. And, and it's just not enough. You, you, it's not enough to hear about it. You're like, yeah, that's good. No, you need to taste it yourself. Whenever I go out to eat with my wife, uh, she'll always order something healthy and I always order the burger. And without, every time, she's like, can I, can I, can I have a piece of that? <laughs> Why? Because she wants to taste and see what is good. <laughs> right? Not that. Right? And so I do. And she, and she does. And she experiences it. And David's saying, it's not enough for you just to know, yeah, God is good. He's a refuge. Right? He helps. He wants you to experience it, to taste it. I think this is why Jesus, when he talks about it, uh, taking, eating his flesh and drinking his blood in, in the Gospel of John, he's not talking about eating his little flesh. It's internalizing. No, you need to know. And what, I, what he really is saying here is you want to walk by faith, then you got to know God, not know about God but actually know God. This is what you were created for. Adam and Eve in the garden experienced walking in the cool of the day with God, which is why it was so devastating when sin enters because now they're not walking with God. There's an alienation, there's, a, there's separation. They're kicked out of paradise because of sin. But you, had, you were still created to know him, to experience him. I'm not saying seek experience. That's not what I'm saying. Experience him. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Here, here's an idea that's not fun for us, but it's, it's a true idea, right? That God will sometimes allow or even purposely put you in the cave like David where you are, are in a bad way so that you will specifically run to him and find him as your refuge, right? Because here's the thing. You don't know God as your refuge unless you need him as a refuge. It's one thing to say, yeah, God is my refuge. But if you've never run to him and been in that situation, you never really taste it. You never really experience it and see that he's good. If you, you can say, oh yeah, I got believe heals. I believe God heals. But if you've never known him as your healer or as your comforter, if you're never in need of comfort and never been comforted by his spirit, then you can't know him and experience him in that way. If you, if you have never been opposed or attacked or lonely, then you'll never know and experience what it is to, for the, him to encamp himself around you. And so sometimes he will allow hard things so that you will taste and see and experience and know, right? And that's an encouragement to walk by faith and not by fear, right? I think that's why um, 
Mary, when, when the mother of Jesus, when, when at the wedding at Cana, when everyone's flipping out because, oh, we don't have any wine, we don't have any wine, we don't have any wine. And what does Mary say? Go with him. Do what he says. And what does Jesus do? He produces new wine, better than they could ever run. Because she knows, hey, stay with him, you'll experience goodness and something new. Right? You won't lack anything. He says in verse nine, fear the Lord, you as saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Doesn't mean you won't ever have any need. He said, you have all that you need, not all that you want. He said, the young lions, they suffer want and hunger. Young lions are the epitome of strength and getting it done and doing it themselves. He said, but even they at times go hungry. But when you fear the Lord, you will not lack anything good. Why? Because you have him and he is the ultimate good. You may lack food, but you won't lack good because you have him. You may lack finances, but you won't lack anything good because you have him. You may lack good health, but you ultimately have him who will resurrect you in the last day. And that's enough. And that's what he's saying, right? So you wanna know how, when to hold them and when to fold them? Walk by faith and not by fear. Get your eyes up, get your eyes off the trust traps and know him. I mean, know him. Cultivate your relationship with him, not about him. Yes, I can recite the creed. Yes, I can do this. I can sing the song. No, know him, seek him, and he will reveal himself to you. Read his word. Ask him to, to, to illuminate the scripture to you. He will do so, right? Because he wants you to know him. That's what you're created for. All right, let's continue. Next thing he says is this. He's gonna tell us, you wanna walk by faith? Then live the good life. Don't worry about all these things that you can't control. Live the good life. You say, well, what, what is the good life? Is it six figures and 2.5 kids and three dogs and zero cats and uh, two weeks at the beach? Is that the good life? It's, it sounds pretty good. That's not the good life he's saying, right? He's gonna tell us what the good life is. He says, come, oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Who wants a good, long, happy life? This is, he's gonna tell us what it looks like, right? It had nothing to do with, it does have a lot to do with cats, I will be honest, but no. It's nothing to do with how much you have. He said, here's what the good life is. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's a good life. A lot of the good life, y'all, the, the long days, the good life has to do with how you treat other people, specifically how you speak to other people. Keep your tongue from evil. Enough of the tearing down. Enough of the criticism. Enough of the angry words. Enough. I'm not saying we, we, we never you know, confront sin. That's not what I'm saying. But I mean, we tear people down and we, uh, we, we, love, we love to identify people's weaknesses. That's not the good life. He said, if you know God, you cannot curse man and bless God who is made, man is made in his likeness. He said, James says, it shouldn't be this way. Right? Be careful with what you say. Be careful of your tone. You could say a lot of truth with a bad tone and, and, and studies show that people don't hear 92% of what you say when you have a bad tone. Watch your tone. Watch what you say. Isn't it interesting? He says, keep your lips from deceit. Because this event that led to this psalm, I count at least four big lies that David told. 
right? He lied to, uh, he told his wife to lie to her dad so that, oh, David's sick, he can't come. He told his, his best friend, Jonathan, the son of the king, oh, David's off sacrificing in Bethlehem. That's why he's not at the party. He told a lie to Abimelech, which got him, Ahimelech, who's got him and his whole family killed. He, he pretends, he lies to, to the king of Gath that he's crazy. So this whole story is built on lies. He said, hey, look, I've learned truth is better than lies. Because these lies cost him. It cost him his reputation, it cost Ahimelech and his whole town, their lives. It cost his relationship with his wife. His wife, this wife, he's got like a bunch of them, unfortunately, but this wife, he never has children with and they are estranged pretty much to the end of their days after this event. It cost him. He says, speak the truth. Be truthful. It's a good life. Turn from evil and do good, right? So if you're going this way and it's evil, go good. If you're watching things that you know you shouldn't watch, you're putting things in your mind you know you shouldn't put in, start, start listening to a good podcast. Start reading your Bible. Put the Bible on tape, good, good music that's gonna build you up. Stop this, do that. That's what he's saying. If you're lazy, stop being lazy, work hard. If you're greedy, stop being greedy, be generous. If you're running with a bunch of this people because you wanna be like them because they're the cool group, that's just fear man. Run with the people in Bible study, the nerds in Bible study. They're the ones that get jobs. It's just the way it works. And they're gonna build you up. You don't have to be like them. No, seek peace. And then he says, seek peace and pursue it. Be a peacemaker. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. They should be called sons of God. They're the, they're the children of God, right? The peacemakers. And it's interesting. David, he was a man of war, don't get me wrong, but he never he always, from this point on, seeks peace with Saul. He has an opportunity to kill Saul. He doesn't take it. He has another opportunity to kill Saul. His men want to do it. He doesn't take it. He's constantly seeking peace. Some of you, man, there's so much drama when you enter the room. Let's be honest. There's always chaos around you, and you're like, do you think it's everyone else? It's not. It's you. Because you get offended at the littlest thing. Don't take yourself so seriously. Some of you take, you're so offended, this and that, I can't believe that, and I can't believe that. You insist on your opinions and on your this and your preferences, and if they don't hear your voice, chill out. We're not that important, right? The good life is a life where you're seeking peace as much as you can. That's what he's saying, right? Do that, do that, because God is for that. He says, the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and when he says righteous, he doesn't mean the good people. That's not what he's talking about, because there are no good people. Righteous is those who are righteous positionally. Those, because of their faith in Christ, have the righteousness of Christ, not the righteousness of Bill. Those who are positionally righteous. He's not, if you're good, God looks at you. If you're not, that's not what he's saying. But he, the eyes of the Lord is towards basically his children. See, if my kids call me at any time of the day, you know, I'm in a meeting, I'm whatever, I'll get it. Now, I may not be able to talk, I'll be like, hey, can I call you right back? I'm in a meeting. If you call me any time of the day, probably going to voicemail. I'm just going to lie. I ain't going to lie to you. Because if it's that important, you leave a message and I'll call you right back. But see, the, the point is my ear attends my kids because they're my kids, right? And what God is saying is my ear is in tune when my kids cry out to me, I hear them and I'm near. Now I may not do what they ask. My kids call me and say, I need a thousand dollars. I might say, let's talk about that. That's why God created jobs, <laughs> right? But I'll, I'll, hear, I mean, I'll hear it. But he says, his ear attends. He's against those who do evil, those who are unrighteous, those who are not 
their faith, but he's for them. He said, when the righteous cry for help, he hears, he delivers them. The Lord is near, he's close. He saves the crushed in spirit, right? That, that's the idea. So the good life is worth living, even if it doesn't mean six figures. It means, hey, I am a child of God, I'm gonna live like it, and I have an advocate, my father, and he hears me. And so if he hears me and he is near, then I don't have to walk in fear, I can walk in faith. Because he's near. Because he's near, right? And so if you want to learn when to hold them, when to fold them, get your eyes up, right? Get your eyes up. Get your eyes off your trust traps, right? Know him, right? Know him and live the good life. And how good is it that God promises he, he hears us? I mean, the, the almighty God of the universe said, even though we're the poor man and the poor woman, he says, I hear you. I hear you. So taste and see that he is good. And he closes the psalm. He closes it a little bit strange. He says this, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And let me be honest, I read that and I'm like, that's not my experience. I mean, really. Okay, I get the afflictions piece. Get that. But he delivers them out of them all. I mean, there's been a lot of people in this, this, this fellowship right here gotten cancer. That's an affliction. Some of them, God has taken home. They weren't delivered out of cancer. In fact, we celebrated the life of one of our members last week who had stage four cancer and he went home to be with the Lord. Where's that deliverance? Right? I mean, some of you lost a job. You didn't even got a job. Right? Where's the deliverance? He, he goes on to say, he keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. He seems to be saying the righteous will never break a bone. Any of you ever broke a bone? I've never broken a bone. That's one of my unique things in my life. I've never broken a bone, right? So I must be righteous. If you broke your arm, you're a sinner. Is that what he's saying? <laughs> broke a toe. Oh, that's a small bone, but you still broke it. Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. I think there's something a little bit deeper going on here that I don't know if David completely understands as he's being moved by the Holy Spirit, but after we read the New Testament and see the kind of full story, it becomes clear what he's talking about. If that verse, he keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken, it sounds a little bit familiar, it should be, because the Gospel of John, the Apostle John quotes this verse. And what's going on is John is looking up at his Savior and he's dead on a cross. And, and the Roman soldiers have just pierced his side. And when they did, blood and water came out showing that he's dead. And what had happened is the, the Jewish leaders, it was a high Sabbath, it was a Passover. So they wanted to take all the people off the cross before the, set, the sun went down because it would you know, defile the land. And so they asked the Romans, hey, can we break the legs of those being crucified so that they'll die quick and we can get them off here before the Sabbath? And they say, yeah, go ahead. And so they break the thief on the right and they break the thief on the left so they'll die quick. And they go to Jesus and they realize, oh, he's already dead. We don't need to break his legs. And then John, referring to that situation, quotes this verse, right? The righteous are, the afflictions of the righteous are many, but the Lord delivers them. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. And that's significant because if you remember when we studied Exodus, the Passover lamb could not be broken, right? His, his, the bones of the Passover lamb were not to be broken. God was very specific. Why? Because the ultimate Passover lamb would not be broken. It would not be broken. And see, Jesus was the only true righteous person, right? He's the only one that was truly righteous. And God, the father, ultimately delivered him out of that affliction. He let him die. But how did he vindicate him? By raising him from the dead on the third day so that he was declared the son of God in power. 
right? And so now we can say affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. But the Lord redeems, for there to be redemption, there has to be a purchase. There has to be a price paid. The father pays the price of redemption with the blood of the son so that now those who take refuge in him will not be condemned, which is why Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think the final point here is this. You want to walk by faith? Remember the lamb. Because whatever affliction you may face, and you will face some according to the psalm and according to Jesus, you will face affliction. But your greatest affliction is not your boss. And it's not a, a financial thing. Your greatest affliction was the fact that you were alienated from a holy God because of sin. And Jesus dealt with it. Jesus dealt with the fact that you were an object of his wrath and now that you are his children. And so if he can deal with that, everything else is gravy. And so cancer may take me or a car accident or a heart attack. It it may, it probably will unless Jesus tarries. It's something's gonna take me, all right? It's probably the healthy food that I eat, the hamburgers will probably take me at one point. But it has been a good ride, all right? But I will be redeemed. I will be delivered because cancer may take me, but I will get a new and glorified body. Why? Because Jesus did. Because he went in the grave and came out. And so my hope is in him. And there's no condemnation, even though I am a knucklehead with drool all over my face and constantly feeling because of what he has done. And so we remember the lamb. This is why the writer of Hebrews says this. Wait, we have a great crowd of witnesses. We sang about him earlier. In that song, we're by the heroes of the faith. But when we're around the heroes of the faith, we're not gonna be like, yo, Moses, that was awesome. Love Leviticus, bro. We're not gonna be doing that. We're gonna be saying, worthy as the lamb. So he says, because we have such a great example of these, all these folks, let us lay aside every weight and sin which, which clings to us. That's living the good life. And do what? Fix our eyes. Look to who? The lamb. Look to the founder. Look to the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him, he wasn't joyful about, oh yeah, you get to die. That's not what, the joy set before him was the fact that he would sit down at the right hand of the father, that he would accomplish our redemption. Because he knew that's where it was going, he could endure the cross, he could despise the shame. And so for us, this is our God. If he did it and we have his spirit now, you can do it too. Doesn't mean it's gonna be fun, you might end up in a cave, you might end up with 400 grumpy dudes, but you can do it, you can walk by faith and not fear, keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes off your trust traps. Know, experience him for who he is and what he's done. And then just go and live the good life, keeping your eyes on him. That's how you hold them. That's when you fold them. That's when to walk away. That's when to run. Let me pray and we'll sing. Father, I pray that you would take just one, maybe two of these verses, these truths, and apply them to each one of us. Whatever we need to hear, maybe we just need to hear that you are big and great. Maybe we need to hear uh, that we are to turn from evil and do good. Maybe we need to be reminded of your love by just looking to the lamb. Whatever it is, Lord, I trust your spirit in us to speak to us, to encourage us, to stir us on to love and good deeds. And may we be a church who walks by faith and not by fear. Fear of man, fear of risk, fear of consequence, fear of whatever, that we would walk by faith trusting you because you will complete, you will finish what you began in us. We praise you for that. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. You guys can stand as we sing.